It's hard to preach without a podium. Amen. I hope you're ready to hear the word of God today. Amen. Well, let's pray real quick. Father God, we are honored to be in your presence, Father. We are grateful to be able to worship you this morning together in person, God, in the flesh. God, the snow didn't hinder us today. We made it here. God, we can do all things through you, God. God, we are honored to truly be thankful because really, in a real way, Father, no one has really gotten hurt in our church through the snow. God, you've protected all the guests. You've protected all the disciples, Father. Thank you for watching over us, God. We pray for everyone that's on the road today, right now. God, allow us to get home safe and sound. But God, we are honored to preach and to hear your word. Father, we pray that your word moves, God. Uh, put me aside. Let the word that you have prepared to be preached to truly move in our hearts, God. We pray that your will is done. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, we had a little snowmageddon here in Seattle. <laughs> People don't know what real snow is out here, but we got a little bit. We got a little bit. We got six inches. Those from Syracuse know all about what I'm talking about right here. I grew up in Chicago where it was the coldest place in the world a week ago. And coming here in Seattle, they don't have no idea what real snow is. No idea. But in a real way, you know, it's really cool because everybody can relate to each other because nobody likes to be empty. Like, who likes the empty necessity? An empty necessity. An empty gas tank. An empty bank account. An empty refrigerator. Nobody likes to be empty, right? Nobody likes to be empty of loneliness. Nobody likes to be empty in any way. And as a result of that, we fill ourselves up, don't we? We fill ourselves up with the fellowship, amen? We fill ourselves up with faith, with prayer. We also, sadly, can fill ourselves up with things that aren't necessarily as important. We can fill ourselves up with relationships, with the impurities of this world. We can fill ourselves up with school instead of God. We can fill ourselves up with our careers instead of God. Money, cars, sports, all of the above. So the truth of the matter is, nobody likes to be empty. The question is, what are you filled up with? The title of the lesson today is, Who is your God? Who is your God? Is it the God of the Bible? Is it yourself? Is it your ideas of what you think God is? Is it your relationship? Is it your significant other? Who is your God? Let's open our Bibles to Exodus. I hope you're ready to hear the Word of God today. Because I'm ready to preach the Word of God today. No podium, the Word's going to get preached today. We're going to read a story that's not a real quote-unquote story. This is an account. This actually happens. This ain't a myth. This ain't a story you can read about from a comic book from Marvel. This is the real deal. We're going to read about a man, and his name is Moses today. And in Exodus chapter 3, let's read in verse 1. Put yourself 
in Moses' shoes, all right? Okay. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. (laughs) Moses saw that though the fire was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, well, I I will go over and see this strange sight. Why, Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. (laughs) Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy grounds. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. What would you do if you saw this? I mean, Moses is kind of going about his day, just hanging out. Going about his life. And then he just suddenly sees this bush. But the bush is on fire, but it's not on fire. You know what I'm talking about right here? He sees fire in the bush, but the bush ain't burning up. I mean, if you know anything about leaves, you put them on fire, they burn up. You've heard about forest fires. We've had our own share of those here in Seattle. It happens. But this forest wasn't on fire. But there was a fire in the bush. Moses goes over, which I'm sure most of us would probably, right? You're like, I got to check this out. Something ain't right here. I got to find out what kind of matches they use. They're like, what's going on in here? And Moses, out of his curiosity, goes, and then God calls him. And when God calls him, you got to appreciate his response. He wasn't hiding from God right here. He knew exactly who was calling him. And he says, here I am. This is incredible. God could have said, I know you're right there. God didn't have to ask him a question. God knew this was going to happen before Moses was even a thought in his mother's mind. But God was testing Moses. Remember, put yourself in his shoes. What would you have said? Now Moses is told by God, don't come any closer and you better take your shoes off. Because you're standing in holy grounds. And when he takes his shoes off, he kind of hides his face a little bit. I I mean, in his mind, he probably is like, God's in that bush, man. I don't want to (laughs) die. I ain't ready to die. So he hides his face. I don't don't even want to look at God. Moses was so afraid of God. I mean, does that describe you this morning? When you're about to look at porn, does that describe you? I can't look at it. I'm so afraid of God. When you're lusting in your heart, is that your attitude? I'm so afraid of God. No. Is that your mindset this morning? Well, Moses had that fear. And because of his fear, God calls him. Point number one. God 
is the God of man. God is the God of man. This is incredible. God says, listen, Moses, I am the God of your father, your daddy. I'm the God of Abraham. And I'm the God of Isaac. And I'm the God of Jacob. Now, what's so significant about these people? We'll turn to Romans chapter 4. Awesome. Hope you're ready for a little Bible study today. In Romans chapter 4, we got to ask ourselves, what was so special about these three men? I mean, if God is their God, I want to be like these guys because I want to make God my God, right? Well, let's find out what made Abraham so special. In Romans chapter 4, in verse 18, the Bible reads, Against all Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief. Regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And the church said, this is incredible. The Bible literally says without weakening in his faith. We can all admit we've had weak moments. Super weak moments. Where you're down, where you're discouraged, where you're insecure. Maybe when you're bitter. Yeah. We've had weak moments. This guy right here, Abraham, he, he didn't weaken right here. He did not weaken in his faith. And it was because that he had hope solely rooted in God and not in the situation. This is so weird to even read. Abraham in hope, against all hope. Abraham in hope believed like that doesn't even make sense how do you how are you against hope but have hope that don't even make sense but that's where Abraham was at in his faith it didn't even make sense I'm about 100 I'm about to have a kid my wife's about 90 she about to have a baby God said it is gonna happen God said he's gonna do it I don't know how I don't have much hope but hey I, I have hope in God that was where he was at in his faith Sometimes faith doesn't need to make sense. The moment you try to make sense out of it, it's not faith anymore. This is not. You're not putting your faith in God if it makes sense to you. So God and Abraham become the best of friends. You know, Abraham is one amazing guy because three religions write about him. He's a dynamic hero in Hinduism. He's a hero in Judaism. And he's a hero in Christianity. This one guy. And God himself says, I am the God of him. This is incredible. Isaac. Well, Isaac is unique because he's Abraham's son. Isaac is that baby that Abraham was... Almost struggling in his faith to have. 
So first of all, Isaac is the, the son of a about 90-year-old woman, which already is a miracle, right? I mean, you don't, you don't get much more of a miracle than that. You know what I'm about? I know you moms appreciate having a child, but imagine at 90. Doing anything at 90 is hard, but having a baby? Oh my gosh, that's intense. Well, he's a miracle baby, and, and when they heard the story, they laughed, and God says, okay, that's going to be your son's name. Isaac literally means laughter. God has a sense of humor, does he not? But he was a miracle child. What about Jacob? Jacob is unique. He's Isaac's son, and Jacob goes and... He, his name literally can mean deceiver. I mean, he, he, had, some, he had some challenges, don't get me wrong. He, he wasn't this perfect guy. And God gave him an even more deceiver in, in Laban right there. And his father, his, his uh, father-in-law. But what's really incredible about Jacob, he had 12 sons. And God changes his name from Jacob to Israel because he wrestles with God an entire Night. I mean, how is your prayer life? How is your prayers? You ever had an all-night prayer by yourself with God? Well, you ain't on Jacob's level. You ain't on his level. To be the God of Jacob, that's what Jacob was doing. These three guys are so important as heroes of our faith. And what's about to happen is now God wants to be the God of Moses. Turn your Bibles back to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, the Bible continues where it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. God has a big heart. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. I'm like losing my spot right here. Uh, And to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Back then, that sounded awesome. (laughs) Sounds weird today, though. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is incredible when you know who Moses was. Remember, put yourself in his shoes. Well, Moses, his name literally means drawn from the water. Why is that important? Well, Moses is an Israelite son, but he goes on to be raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Now, remember, putting yourself in his shoes. This is like being um, a low-class poor dude growing up in the streets in the hood, right? You're in the hood. You're born in the hood. And you're born in a time where everybody in your age bracket as a dude, as a boy, is getting killed, right? So it's like, mom's like, well, I can't raise my son. I'm going to have to throw him in the water. You get thrown in some water. 
and you're going up a stream and you get picked up by the king's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter. That's like the president's daughter coming and picking you up and takes you to raise you as her own son. You get raised in the most privileged, I mean, the most privileged of privileged situations as a hood child. And this kid, I mean, you remember, put yourself in his shoes now. You would have every, reason, every right to be a little bougie, right? <laughs> be a little prideful. You're like, I'm the chosen one. <laughs> I made it. But that is the exact opposite of how he grew up and how he became. In an actual way, this guy grows up to be not, not prideful, but in the Bible, he's recorded as the most humble man. On the face of the earth. Numbers 12, verse 3. Now, what's incredible, what's also kind of funny, is he wrote numbers. Amen. So he kind of wrote that. It makes you question his humility right there. But, But he wrote it. And it's in the Bible. And he's God's prophet. So it probably was true. So Moses, being the most humble man, But there's a catch. Moses was also a murderer. Just got to slide that in there. He was humble, but he was a murderer. There's no way around that. And God looks at a murderer and says, you're going to be a leader. You're going to be the man to save all of my people. A murderer. Now, there's two ways to look at that. You either say, okay, God is crazy. God's crazy. How are you going to trust a murderer of all people? That's who God's going to trust? There's nobody else? Or you can say, you know, God is faithful. Because he believes that murderer can change. Well, the calling of Moses isn't supposed to make sense to us. But the reason why it doesn't make sense to us is because we look at outward appearance and God looks at the heart. We look at his sin. We look at his struggle. We look at his behavior. We look at how he looks. Just be honest. Isn't that how we look at people? Isn't that how we make judgments? Yeah. And we know it's not right, but that's how we are as people. See, God is different. God's not like you. God doesn't judge only by actions. He judges by the reason why. Let's look at that in chapter 2. Why did God call Moses? In chapter 2, in verse 11, the Bible says one day, after Moses had grown up, he had went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own. Glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sands. This is intense. So Moses, just as he got a little older, he's a grown up now. And he goes out and he sees where all his people are, the Israelites. Remember, he was a privileged one. So he goes to where he sees the slaves of his own people. 
and he sees this one Egyptian abusing this one Israelite. What's interesting here is the Bible doesn't say that Moses had a relationship with either one of these guys. It just says an Egyptian and an Israelite. Moses didn't know the Israelite, but in his heart he wanted to defend him. And what's amazing, it shows how much Moses loved his people. He loved his people to the point of harming someone else who was abusive. This was the heart that God saw in Moses. God saw that Moses had a passionate love for his people who were being mistreated. And for God, this was key because Moses' heart matches the God's heart exactly. And because they're unified in their heart, God was able to choose Moses. For us, we got to ask ourselves, why do we choose the people we choose? Why do we make the choices that we make? What is in your heart? God is amazing because he looks deep, so deep, where he looks at your motives. And he judges based on that. And as a result of that, God puts you in circumstances so you can see what your own motives are. In the hopes that you can change. God disciplines those he loves. What's incredible is God loves everybody. And because of God's love, he put you even in this church, in this situation right now to make a choice. Who is your God going to be? And in Exodus chapter 3, remember being in Moses' shoes. You guys still with me here? And in Exodus chapter 3, Moses had a response to what God had said. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He questioned God. God said, hey, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is he, I, who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, uh, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Uh, and they're going to ask me, God, like, yo, what's his name? Or what shall I tell him? <coughs> God says, listen, Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God said also to the Moses, okay, um, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And the church said, this is incredible. This is amazing because Moses actually doubted. He doubted God. He doubted his calling. He was a murderer. He had a wicked lifestyle, or in a sense, a wicked heart towards people. But in a real way, he had a genuine passion for righteousness. And what was right was to save the people who were being punished. God looks at that 
and calls him, but Moses actually didn't understand why he was being called. So because Moses didn't understand, he doubted that he was the man for the job. In a very real way, we can relate to Moses. When you're in your classroom, dang, am I the man for the job? (laughs) When you're in leadership at work, man, am I the man for the job? In your marriage, am I the man for the job? In your relationship, am I the man for the job? As a leader in the church, am I the man for the job? We can doubt ourselves. Isn't that true? We can doubt is God really, like, did he make a mistake? Come on now. Me? And that same humility that you have is the reason why God's calling you in the first place. Who else? That's the point. That's why I'm calling you. Because you're humble. I can use someone humble. I cannot use someone that's prideful. That's why God's calling you. Point number two. You did not choose God, but God chose you what's incredible here is moses was going about his life and god shows up and makes it obvious to him that god wanted him what's really amazing is our lives are the same way remember we put ourselves in moses shoes now even 2000 3000 4000 heck all time years later we're in the same situations as moses Where we're going about our lives, we're living a certain way, and then God makes himself obvious to you. He makes himself so obvious where you're like, man, I need to change. You know you need to change because you're here today to change, right? Nobody here not to? Amen. (laughs) We're all here to change. And it's all because God has made it obvious that he wants you. Turn your Bible to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus has a message for the disciples. And in his message, he puts them in their place. He's like, listen, I and my father are the gardener. You're just a branch. But that branch, it ain't going to live unless you got me, the vine. I will pump as much nutrients as you need to survive. You will be fruitful as long as you stay connected to me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. God's the gardener. What's God doing? He's making sure you stay fruitful. Because he's got to make use of you. You weren't made purposeless. You were made purposeful. And that's to serve God. And as you serve God, your role is to stay connected to the vine. Stay plugged in. Stay in your Bible. Stay faithful. Remain in Jesus. Stop blaming yourself. Stop looking at your past and focus on the present and say, who is God for me? God is my Lord, my Savior, and I'm going to obey him. Well, Jesus comes. And in the middle of his charge to the disciples, he says in verse 16 that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit. 
fruits that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is blow away. Because we can sometimes get prideful. Yeah. And we can think, man, like I, I chose to be a disciple. Man, I, I accepted that call. I said, Jesus, Lord, I chose this. God knew he needed me. Oh, baby. Just wait. Just wait. In, in my sin sometimes, I can feel like, man, God made me talented. He made me tall. Like, he made me, I was born for this, God. I got to humble this kid. I haven't been able to play basketball in months because I blocked this kid's shot. And my fingers still won't go straight. I can't use my, my basketball. What? God's like, no. No, you need to be humble. You need to love me more than basketball. I'm going to fill your life, not a sport. But what's God humbling you for? What is that? What is the lesson he's trying to teach you? The truth is, God shows all of you. Heck, you're here today. You've been chosen by God. But what's going to be your response? I'm so proud of Akilah. So proud of Akilah. Because he knows God chose him. He knows. And because he knows God chose him, he's decided to accept the call. And since he's accepted the call, he's come today to be a disciple that gets baptized. It's been amazing to study the Bible with him. I know all the brothers are fired up. But I know nobody's more fired up than his mom and dad. This is a dream come true. This is beautiful in every way. None of us that are in college really really can really understand how, how big of a miracle this really is. Well, God permitting, one day you will, when you have your own son. When you raise him, when you study the Bible with him, you pray for him on your knees, you beg God for your son to be a Christian, to not grow up as crazy as everybody else in this world, to not be as crazy as you were in your teenage years, but to be a man of God, and that's the blessing, that's the gift, that's the miracle that we're about to watch before our eyes here. God has chosen you. My question is, what will you do? Let's learn from Moses and be humble. Let's learn from Moses and say, God, here I am. The Bible's clear. I need to repent. I need to get baptized. God, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to go. God, I'm going to put you first because I know only you will fill my life. And God, I know I'm going to be used by you. I love you guys. And to God be all the glory.